0: This is Author's Alcove, where writers learn from writers. Readers get the inside scoop and everyone learns something. An episode comes out every Wednesday where writers share their latest work. Every other Tuesday where us writers get taught by such experts as editors, book cover artists, and marketing execs and beyond. So grab a cup of coffee and let's dive into our next book. Hi, welcome to Authors Alcove. This is Agnes Wolf. Today, I have a storyteller at heart. He's the author of several science fiction and fantasy books. He had two books come out this year. The first one was in May, and it is The Wet Wear Wizards. Though he claims it's science fiction, it kind of sounded like real life to me with AI taking over. The second one came out in September, which was called Heroes Welcome Space Opera, which is actually the seventh in a series, is that correct?
1: I suppose you could call it the seventh in the universe. There was a series, oh, okay. a series of six Oop. novellas, which is kind of one story, and then this one's a side story, and so it's still in the same universe, okay. though. So I guess technically it counts as a series, but none of the same characters.
0: So, what is the common theme throughout all of the seven books?
1: There really isn't throughout all seven. The six in the in the Clark Family Legend series, which starts with Prodigy's Lost. The six is, a, in some ways, it's about expertise and the price you pay, and then it's kind of in two halves. The second, the the books four through six are about how do you follow a legend, right? Essentially, the first three books, this this woman, she's a pilot, and she's kind of obsessed with flying, and she does flying or simulators all the time, and she's so good at it, she becomes a legend, and the stuff she does actually changes the this part of the galaxy, I guess you could say, and... uh Then it turns out she has a freezer twin so basically they split the embryos when when she before she was born and froze one of them and 50 years later her sister is born and her sister has to go wait how the heck do i follow a legend i'm already a failure before i start right so that's that's the second half of the series the uh, the first one brandy she when she started getting famous Started wearing, um, basically wearing shades whenever she was in public and, you know, her hair under her hat and stuff like that. So she was harder to recognize when she wasn't wearing this stuff, which made, so people, you know, don't recognize Burgundy, the, her sister on site. But if they saw them together, they would say, wait, you look like each other, almost 50 years older. <laughs>
0: I heard that most of what you've written are novellas. What is the cutoff between a novel and a novella? Like, what makes something a novel? Which one? What makes it a novella?
1: It's you know, it depends on on the genre. Some people say it's the amount of words, right? So, novels start somewhere around sixty to seventy thousand words, and my novellas are tend to be thirty to forty, forty-five thousand. So that's that's what I've I've got. You know, you can buy the Clark Family Legend as one, you know, big book. Um, then it's a lot of words, but you know, um, it's a big book. I got, the, I got the the physical version of it and said, "Man, that's a big book. It, it's about that thick. You know, it's thick. It's thick." And I don't know why some stories just come out as novellas. The interesting thing about me and process, I kind of say I've never written written anything under three thousand words that was worth anything. You know, my sweet spot is starting over 10,000. That's where I start getting into um, able to do stuff. You know, it's interesting. As a writer, we always talk about words, right? You know, readers tend to talk about, it was 400 pages long. It's like, yeah, well, it depends on the typeface, right? I was trying to think. Um, I think Lord of the Rings is around 500,000 words total, right? To give you an idea how much, 100,000 words is. So fantasy novels at 150,000 words are a pretty good length, right? Interestingly, romances tend to be shorter, like 70,000. Mysteries, maybe a little longer, maybe 90,000, 100,000. Science fiction, again, 100,000 reigned, and fantasy is the longest, which is really kind of interesting. Well, my very first fantasy novel is 180,000 words. It's pretty big.
0: I think fantasy is kind of hard to write without being wordy because you have to, or world so much yeah there's that more
1: world, world building than there is in science fiction uh, often you know I can't say exactly why these things come out 30,000 words it's kind of interesting I um so I have the six novels and then I have Heroes Welcome now Heroes Welcome is kind of a side story it's really important side story because what happens in Heroes Welcome becomes the major theme of the next set of novellas which is actually about one of the side characters in the first six. But I have to have Heroes Welcome out there for you to understand what's happening, right? So Heroes Welcome explains some things that are going on in the next one, which I think is called going to be called Earl's Revenge. That one, like I said, it's it's written. I need to get it to beta readers. You know what the process is? It's like this is it's it's it kind of astounds me. The process after I hit the end, so I write the whole thing and type the end, and the rest of the process takes longer than that, right? The actual writing is less than the getting it ready for publication time. For instance, Earl's Revenge, I need to get it to three beta readers that I have for that one to make sure it's okay. So basically, I write it, then I go through it once or twice, fix things up you know makes get rid of all the typos i can figure out find and all that sort of stuff and say wait that sentence doesn't make any sense i'm going to you know change that one and smooth this up and oh wait i forgot about that thing and do all that kind of stuff and then once that's done i send it off to other people to read and they check it out and they say um this bit make doesn't make sense on page 14 and and why the heck would the character do that that's dumb and you know those sorts of things and so then i go take what they what they say and sometimes i'll you know i put it through a filter of what i'm trying to do right because one of the things if you're a writer just because someone says something in critiquing their story doesn't mean you need to change it you need to analyze what they said why they said it and see it's like oh wait they missed the whole point i better go back and fix something right and it might not be what they said to fix right it might be something right. else because right. you're you know fixing the what the reader is supposed to know. Um, in this particular one, Earl's Revenge, I'm sending it to a friend who's a psychologist because, um, Earl has PTSD and I need to know, okay, did I deal with the PTSD? Okay. And, and does it make sense what I did? So then after the beta readers, I get them, their comments, and then I go back through the story and fix all the stuff that they said, that's worth fixing and needs to be fixed. So I fix all that stuff. Then I send it off to a developmental editor. That's the expensive one. Developmental editor who's supposed to go in and say, all right, your technique here is off and, and you need to look at that part because it's really bad. And, and um, it's almost more like an even more in-depth beta reader in some ways, Send it off to developmental editor and then fix what they had to say about it and then send it to the copy editor. You know, and then there's the, the getting the cover and making sure you get cover art. You know, it's interesting. Cover art, probably 70% of the sale. Because it yeah. used to be you'd go browse at a bookstore and go, that cover looks cool. And you'd pick up and you'd read the back and you'd read the first few pages and maybe you'd buy it, maybe you wouldn't. On Amazon or Kobo, wherever you're going, you see the little icon picture of the cover and you say, that looks interesting and click on that. You know, if you're starting out, don't skimp on the cover find someone who does good covers the other is there are places that send out at this point at least for me the kindle unlimited page reads amount to probably 80% of my income on uh, from the books okay. so stopping doing that doesn't make much sense at this time for me for someone else it might right one of the things you get with the ebooks on amazon is they allow you to have Three days. I think it's two or three a month where you can set your book, your ebook, to be free. And so there's this thing where you that send out emails to say, "Hey, here's a free book. You should try it." And you pay for three of those, and maybe they cost eh, you know seventy five to one hundred twenty five each, right? So you spend three hundred bucks, you get this giant spike in page reads because what it turns out. Obviously, if the person who gets that email has Kindle Unlimited, it doesn't matter whether you set it to free, they get it for free anyway. So they download it and read it and get paid. You get page reads off of it.
0: I know my husband, he has Kindle Unlimited. Well, we share a Kindle Unlimited account, but he's right. always getting the free books just because he's curious. And so right. he, he, yeah. the author's still getting paid.
1: Right. The author's still getting paid. Absolutely. What you really need to do to get noticed is either. You need to get enough sales and decent reviews and stuff that the Amazon algorithm start putting you in the also-bought list. You show up on the also bots, it gets people's attention. And once you're there, then Amazon is doing the marketing for you, right? Because they think you're selling enough that it's worth their time and algorithm to send, present your book to other people. The other one is the bestseller categories and you know you can go down and look at best-selling military science fiction right or best-selling cozy romance you know whatever and there, there are hundreds of them and so you go down through that list and you and you find the category you like and you look at the top you know 100 books in that category if you can get on one of those lists and stay there you got it made there will be you'll get tons of sales um i know an author talks about having A cat short story she published a short story about a cat and it somehow got on the barnes and noble top 50 cat stories list and the thing still sells you know like like years later she's getting income from this short story because it's on the barnes and noble best cat stories list so that's the that's what you're trying to do um and you know go ahead
0: oh no i was going to ask you so when was this when did you publish your very first book
1: 2016, How long ago? 2016. I'm actually kind of amazed. So from 2016 to today, so that's seven years. Okay. I'd had this idea for wetware wet wizards for years, right? And I hadn't ever done NaNoWriMo, for those who don't know, National Novel Writers Month, which is November. I'm
0: going to do it this year.
1: Okay, go for it. I mean, it's kind of fun, you know, getting up there and writing, what is it, 1600 words a day, a little more than that? Um, basically to get fifty thousand words in 30 days is the goal well i started off doing nanowrimo with wetware wizards and started writing and realized i didn't have a novel what i had was a prologue and the first chapter and an ending <laughs> it's like and so during nanowrimo i made up All this stuff. Interesting. I did not get to 50,000 words that year. I got to 46, I think. That counts. Yeah. Round up. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. But I managed to come up with the story at the same time that I was writing it. How do you, you know, I had ideas for the first book. And then, okay, there's the second book and the third book. And I looked at that and said, you know, that idea for the second book isn't working. We're going to move it up and we're going to take the second book and we're going to mash the third book into it. And we're going to use the third book as our primary thing, and so that's what I'm, you know, going to do. In fact, one of the things that happens—this isn't a huge part of the plot, but it's kind of funny—is is the main character in the Wetware Wizards meets a woman, and he's going to get married again. He he's a, at the start of Wetware Wizards, and in prison with a behavior modification chip. That's that was the you know. How do you start a revolution when you're in prison with a behavior modification chip <laughs> and that was a lot of fun in fact that first first section where they you, you see him in in jail and what happens and he tries to kill himself and doesn't succeed and he gets broken out by his the new new rebellion thing that's going on there they're fixing trying to fight the ais and like i say on the on the cover blurb it's like the The little golden AIs are trying to take over the world, and no one's even noticing.
0: Have you read the book Scythe series? The Scythe. I have not. You really should. That if you're because it has a lot of the same elements, but you know the AI is not taking over. They have something called the Thunderhead. And in the Thunderhead, they have behavior modification things. And um, I just found that so interesting. So when I was reading that, I was like, hey, that's what I'm reading right now. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Wetware Wizards. Do you mind just sharing briefly the plot line without giving away too many spoilers?
1: Yeah, so basically, these guys created a real AI. And interestingly, I think, so for those who don't know, what we have now is computer programs that learn They're maybe as intelligent probably as a mouse or something like that maybe not even that good right and and they're mostly designed to do specific things right so it's not like chat gpt can say oh today i'm going to draw pictures and go draw make pictures it doesn't do that it just does text things and by the way my brother's a programmer and he knows about The engine behind that and one of the things he says about it is it doesn't understand meaning of the words it understands how people put words together and how sentences work and and stuff like that but it doesn't understand meaning
0: yeah, Chat, right. Chat GPT definitely has its downfalls. I was trying to think of a creative way to insult a fairy in one of my books, and <laughs> yeah. I write, I wrote in there, and it said, "You have to be nice to all creatures." And I was like, "But fairies aren't <laughs> real." And they're like, "Even imaginary characters, you need to be <laughs> mindful of." And I'm just like, "Okay," and I'm like, <laughs> "So I had to ask my husband to help me with that's, the insults."
1: That's <laughs> funny. Yeah, in what were wizards, <laughs> they create real AIs. Partly they do it by creating um, something that becomes the overlay, where they they make a virtual world that essentially mirrors the physical world, and they let the AI roam around this virtual world. One of the things, you know, my brother's a biologist and one, and, and a computer programmer, and he, he talks about, with us, with people, language is related to moving through the physical world. And it's interesting how many nouns have associated actions, if you think about it, like door. Google, right? Yeah, even that picture. You know, if I say picture, you know, it's something you look at. If I say door, it's something you walk through, it's a window you look through or open it, right? It has associated actions with the noun, which implies that we learn language by interacting with the physical world. So I put that in there. It's subtle, but I put that in there. And essentially what happens, and this is more before the story starts, is basically that they create this AI that's really intelligent, and it figures out what's going on. And one, it learns to lie. Two, it's afraid, because if you think about it, there are a couple billion of us, and a bunch of people are going to be, you know, really upset if you have a real AI and say, you don't want to kill it. And so he gets becomes afraid of people and starts taking actions to protect himself from us. And what he does, of course, is get loose, make more AIs, and give them bodies that look like little kids and evoke, um, you know, the, the reaction you have by looking at a puppy, right? and then he starts writing computer programs and even movies and television shows and things where he's manipulating how people think about things and his computer programs all collect data and send it back to their own computers and so he's analyzing they're basically affecting trends and hacking computers and making sure people are doing what they want them to do that's where where we start with dominic and being imprisoned by the the ais one of the people that makes the rebellion go is is the first wetware wizard and he's saying look if we really want to compete with these ais we're going to have to modify ourselves and we're going to have to be able to do things so a wetware interface do, do you know what a wetware interface is and what I deal i'm with not
0: that? familiar okay. no.
1: basically this is wetware okay so the idea is an interface, but direct interface from the human brain to the to the internet or networks, and that's what the wetware wizards are. And it's actually going to turn out that the the people in this book, the first ones to be that, are wizards compared to anybody else gets it because the second book, one of the things that's included in is clinical trials for this thing to make it so everybody can have it, and it turns out they modify it because they're this the potion potion, if you will, that creates these wetware wizards has a down has a has a little bit of a drawback to it. And that is that you drink it, it kills you, and then it brings you back. And some people it doesn't bring back. So it has just just a little bit of a drawback to it. So they uh they fix that in the second book. But it's about the these rebels and how they get to be stop the AIs from doing what they're doing.
0: Out of curiosity from your perspective, how do you feel about AI? You feel there's dangers.
1: The bad thing about chat GTP and the, and the art ones is they're sampling. They're taking work I did and essentially plagiarizing it. It's especially true of the art, right? They're taking someone else's art and using it to make new art. Now it's not quite as clear cut as that, because if you think about, say, if I wanted to start learning to paint, well, Maybe I'll imitate Rembrandt and do the things Rembrandt did. Or, you know, or Picasso or whatever, right. So I start learning by copying people. And they're learning by copying people. Is where's the line between imitation and plagiarism? Right. So that's a, a, a really difficult question, and needs to be answered. It's really interesting. I, I'm not sure whether these were created by uh, and what the process was to get to these. Um, whether it was some programmer said, hey, I'd like to write someday. Maybe I'll make an AI that writes because they haven't been able to do it themselves. Best best uses for AIs are more things like, I'm going to watch the security cameras of this building. Why? They don't get bored. you know. They, they don't get bored. Their job is to watch this thing and keep track of who comes in and who doesn't, who's supposed to be there, who's not supposed to be there. And tell someone if something bad happens, right? So there's the the plagiarism thing, which is is an issue. And really, we want to make AIs that can do tasks that we don't want to do. Mm. I said that wrong. Do tasks that we're not very good at. Now, when you get to true AI, now, here's the deal. Based on what we have now, and where we're going, and the computer hardware and all the different things, we're going to get there, right? We will make an actual artificial entity that is self-aware and sentient and sapient. And it's just a question of how long. It's not a question of if. right? And that's actually interesting that that's actually the theme of the second book of The Wetware Wizards, which is called The Thin Line. At what point are they slaves versus people? And what rights do they have? And all that sort of stuff. The problem that authors like me and Isaac Asimov have seen with AIs is since we're continually making computers better and faster and bigger, and well, faster and smaller, right? More powerful and smaller. If you make an AI, an actual intelligent one, then he's suddenly capable of improving himself by downloading himself into a different computer hardware. And he can become faster and smarter and have more capacity of doing things than we do. And we are limited by our physical bodies and our brains. The idea is that to compete with AIs that can improve themselves, we're gonna have to modify ourselves. And that's where the idea of something like a wetware wizard comes from. You know, there's the three laws of robotics. You familiar with those? Some people have said, well, we just need to put the three laws into all these robots, or AIs when they come out. And then someone pointed out, yeah, someone's gonna build one and not put them in there. You know that's gonna happen, right? um because it's something you have to actively do so the ro- the laws are a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm second a robot must obey orders given to it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law a robot must protect its own existence as long as protection doesn't conflict with the first or second laws that's the the, the three laws and you know they're useful if we could make sure that all the ais had them that would be one thing but we're human beings someone's going to make one that doesn't right right one of the really interesting things that humans have is imagination you and i all humans even even you know the guy driving the, the garbage truck can say okay i imagine a world where i'm doing something different or I imagine a world where something has changed. You can look into the future and say, I want to make it like this. That lets us plan. It lets us change our situations. It lets us build a world that doesn't look like what it looks like now, because we can imagine it. It also lets us tell stories. And it does one other really interesting thing. It lets you lie. Because you think about it, all lies are imagining a world that doesn't exist and then saying that it does, Right. So, if we get to true artificial intelligence, sapient, sentient, whatever it is, they're going to be able to lie. So, that's something, you know, you got to think about. It's like, huh, I never thought about a computer lying before. But, yeah, that's going to be there. Like I said, the real problem is going to be recognizing it. And it may be recognized when it comes to us and says, hey, stop that. I don't like it, right? Treat me like a real person.
0: Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I, I'm actually very interested in the AI stuff just because, you know, we are getting more into that. And I've played around with chat GPT. Usually it's, um, I find it's a lot quicker to come up with synonyms and stuff. I don't use it to like write, but I use it to like come up with like ideas or whatever. Like, okay, w- w- how could I say this word differently? What are synonyms for? Because Googling it is, is a lot longer That's for awkward. me. Yeah. yeah, but I was very curious. I typed in there, because I was trying to write a poem and I was like could you finish this line for me and it didn't just finish the line it finished my entire poem which I did not use their version but I'm like oh my goodness and I read it and I was like that's really good like that it's really good it's better than what I was writing and I'm like but I I was at least able to come up with a rhyme because I was this is poetry month for Authors Alcove but anyway thank you very much for joining us I really appreciate it and but i do want to ask one more question sure. what is one piece of advice you would give to a not yet published author
1: yeah, one piece of advice is really hard but um i i was on a panel about self-publishing once and and we started at the beginning and the beginning is one write two finish what you write right get to the end um because If you don't get there none of the rest of it matters right interestingly there's advice from another friend was if you have trouble writing write one sentence a day anybody you can find time to write one sentence a day and his comment was if you find you're not writing one sentence a day the problem isn't time you need to look elsewhere for what the problem is but it seems like really simple advice but Write. finish what you write um and i guess the next one is you know work to get the quality up don't just assume that what you are writing is really good right to get outside opinions on it so there you
0: go i really appreciate it
1: thank you for having me I, i enjoyed being on so thank you
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Authors Alcove. We will be back next week on Wednesday, where we will have a writer share yet another piece of work. Also, every other Tuesday, we do learn from experts such as editors, marketing execs, book cover artists, illustrators, and more. If you are interested in being a guest on our show, feel free to go to AuthorsAlcove.com, go to the podcast tab, and then click on Be a Guest. If you're looking for a healed heart, hop on over to our sister podcast, Strength, Love, and Healing with Authors Alcove. You can find that on Spotify and the Apple Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. Have a great day.
1: Very good. Thank you you very much. I really appreciate it.